I am an African. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Africa Fatami's A4D. It's with me, Zenge, as usual. And uh, once again, Nathan can't join us today. We are going to discuss a very, very pertinent issue happening in Malawi, in Mozambique, in southeastern Africa, the floods. We're going to be talking about the floods in Malawi. We have seen, um, you know, our news screens have been covered. If you're following African current affairs, you definitely know that there's massive floods going on in Malawi and Mozambique is no stranger to floods. So we're going to unpack this story. We're going to talk about the context. We're going to talk about climate change as a whole and how it's affecting Africa with uh, a very, very special guest. Her name is Alexina Piri. She is a lawyer, uh, has over seven years of experience in implementing policies, tackling critical global issues such as human rights, governance, and counterterrorism. She's also a British diplomat in the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office. So for those that don't know what that is, that's basically the foreign ministry. Uh, she's played a key role in organizing international summits such as the Africa Investment Summit in 2019, COP26, you know, the big uh, climate conferences that happen every other year. She's also former acting British High Commissioner to Zambia uh, in 2019 acting deputy British High Commissioner to Botswana in 2020. And uh, Alexina uh, Piri is also uh, working with the Trade and uh, International Trade Department of the UK in um, Asia. So uh, welcome to the Africa for Dummies team and uh, we, we're happy to have you. No, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm really, really happy to be here. Firstly, I just want to say thank you for having me on this podcast. Um, I've listened to some of them and I think it's absolutely brilliant what you're doing, simplifying the language. So I hope I'll be able to add to the great work that you're already doing on that. Um, as you know, I am Malawian born, so this issue is very close and personal to me. So I just want to thank you and your team for spreading awareness on what's happening in Malawi, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um... And, and 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 one of the one of the draws also was uh, that that you're originally from Malawi, and we wanted to have someone that was able to uh, speak about this uh, because you most likely know someone that is probably affected by uh, um, by these floods by the cyclone Freddy. So the the cyclones go cyclone Freddy. I don't know how the naming goes, but I, I, just, I know the previous ones had different names. I don't know if it's only male names, but um, anyway, just to give us. Um, uh, a bit of context about these events in southeastern Africa. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, I mean, the cyclone first hit Mozambique and caused a lot of damage. Um, for those who don't know on this talk, on this podcast, what a cyclone is, it's a type of storm that can bring strong winds and heavy rain. It causes a lot of flooding and different kinds of damages. And fortunately for for this cyclone, it just didn't stay in Mozambique. It also moved over to Malawi. Malawi is uh, one of the neighboring countries of Mozambique and has caused a lot of problems there too. And I think it's been called one of the longest cyclones of all times. So I don't know if that's mm -hmm. correct. You yeah. can correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, no, but... that's, that's yeah, 35 days or something like that, yeah. Yes, which is unusual for a cyclone. And uh, it's caused a lot of flooding, landslides. So a lot of people's homes and farms have been destroyed. And like I mentioned before, um, part of my, some of my family has been 
affected, you know, wow. losing yeah. some of their um, homes and which are closer to the areas have been affected. Mm. And it's it's really, really devastating to say the very least. And seeing the news and following the situation, you know, most people don't have access to food, don't have access to clean water and medical care. Mm. And what I can see is the people in Mozambique and Malawi, they're doing their best to really try to deal with this situation. And I've been really impressed with how the community in Malawi, people around the world have really supported Malawians to rebuild their homes and lives because you can't prepare for this sometimes. So, yeah. 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 yeah no, the, 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 the toll in Malawi from what I have read so far and what I have seen is is particularly devastating. Um, as of 2015, I'm sorry, as of the 15th of March, uh, 2023, over 400 people have died. And the president of Malawi, Lazarus Chakwera, appealed for aid. And as you said, not everyone, you know, Malawians weren't particularly expecting this to happen. Um, mm -hmm. No one wasn't necessarily planning for it. Like, I mean, this I understand this is cyclone. This is a cyclone season, I think. But yeah, yeah. how prepared really was Malawi for these floods? Um, okay, like you mentioned, the president has appealed for aid to help the country with the aftermath of um, the cyclones. Malawi is not a country that's not used to dealing with floods, same as Mozambique, you know. They occur frequently, especially during the rainy seasons. But I think in terms of Cyclone Freddy, it really exceeded the country's um, preparedness measures. Yeah. And it was difficult for a small country like Malawi really to deal with the magnitude of this event. And, you know, like... um. What I've always tried to move away from is, is really the blame game. The UK itself, mm. when we have massive snow, <laughs> <laughs> I get a lot of cancellations. My train is cancelled. You know, they do yeah. impact on people's lives. And like every natural disaster, it can be unpredictable. Mm. And even though you can try your best to be, to be prepared, it can still be a struggle. And we've seen that as well in developed, countries as well as in development countries and I think this is one of those unprecedented events that Malawi was faced with to be honest with you and I think what's important for us really is to to learn from these experiences especially with climate change to start taking steps to improve how we can better be prepared for future future disasters I mean the case of Malawi it's it's really clear yeah. that more work needs to be done to be prepared for disasters such as this and I think the support and help from the international community is going to also be important to help countries uh, like Malawi, Mozambique, Madagascar to really start to recover and reboot and take steps to to improve this. Yeah yeah um, actually uh there, there was some stuff we put out on our stories and our Instagram for, for those that follow our Instagram page. The Zambian government uh, donated humanitarian sources, uh, resources worth about 700 and something thousand US dollars, so close to a million. Mm -hmm. Tanzania, about a million US dollars also, and obviously like helicopters and things of that nature. And I think the UK has also donated quite a significant amount to the floods in Malawi. 
Um, so as you said, you know, it's 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 a seasonal thing, and one can't necessarily say Malawians do not. They, the floods have never happened or cyclones have never happened in Malawi. It's it's, it's a regional seasonal thing. Uh, indeed, if we can see, you know, in in the recent past, Mozambique, Malawi, and Zimbabwe lost 1,593 people to Cyclone Idai in 2017, uh, leaving damages about mm-hmm. worth about 3.3 billion US dollars. And in 2019, Cyclone Kenneth killed 57 people with an economic damage. Of of Mozambique, particularly three worth three hundred and forty five million US dollars. So um, you know, as these are obviously uh, developing countries, um, what what in terms of in terms of um, you being you being in the humanitarian aid um, business and also in the foreign office, what 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 help is there like in a tangible Basis. What what stuff? What what stuff do people actually need? What help? What what what's being done? Yeah. To help them, if you get what I mean. Yeah. No, I get what you mean, and I think that's a very good question. Um, during Cyclone Adai I, in 2017, I was actually working as the policy officer for Mozambique at the time, so I really saw firsthand the impacts of of the cyclone. And the economic damage, as you mentioned, was really extreme. And to be honest with you, I think it stretched beyond that. And the same as well with Cyclone mm-hmm. Kenneth in 2019. I also worked on that. And honestly, I think the devastating impacts were probably way beyond what is estimated. Wow. I think, yeah, it's, it's really important for us to to really remember that these countries are still developing. Mm. And it means that... They don't usually have the resources or infrastructure to deal with disasters on on this scale. And that's why I think having a international community and especially these communities coming together to help these countries during these disasters is very, very important. Um, I'd like to take the time to also recognize organizations such as, you know, United Nations, the Mm. Red Cross, Plan International, and a lot of local organizations that are doing great work in terms of providing shelter, food and medical assistance to people who are affected by by, um, the cyclones. And this sort of support cannot be underestimated in helping people, you know. Of course, it's not sometimes cannot be deemed to be long term, but this short term immediate actions really go a long way to not prolonging the country's suffering or people's suffering. Yeah. And also, I think like, you know, when I worked in my role as pass of on this, I saw governments making pledges, so financial assistance that they will help these countries to rebuild and to recover. And this funding included stuff, you know, on infrastructure projects, repairing roads, bridges, and for programs that can really provide long-term support for those who are affected in these communities. Because don't forget, it doesn't end there. Some of them also lose family members. Mm. They're dealing with different issues because of these cycles. So looking at the long-term, long-term impacts is very, very important. And to me, it's clear that a lot of work has to be done mm. to get developing country to a place where where the impacts of cyclones or any natural disaster will not be as bad. So I think what we can all do is 
through donations, like right now, what's going on in Malawi, Mozambique, I've seen a lot of people take action, starting their own just giving pages, starting, you know, doing the, the best they can to help, volunteering, GoFundi. yeah, go funding. And um, also, I think simply just spreading awareness. We're living in a world that is digitally connected. Yeah. And sometimes people don't know what's happening in 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 a place where they don't live at. If yeah. an issue doesn't impact you sometimes, you don't fully get invested or involved. So I think the more people spread awareness on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever platform you're most active on really also helps because you don't know who can help yeah. and support people. Yeah. Yeah, I I guess that's true because Malawi always, it, it, I guess it seems distant to a lot of people and people easily just scroll over and continue. And I think that the, 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 just, just a comment, I think the sad thing is, you know, when the death toll is not ridiculously high in some of our parts of the world, it's very easy to ignore, you know. Uh, I think yeah. when you saw the earthquakes in Turkey, people have already moved on from the earthquakes in, in <laughs> Turkey and Syria. Uh, but this is 40, 45,000 people. I think it's probably more than that now. Uh, completely yeah. dead. Uh, and uh, it's very easy for people to move on when, you know, obviously Malawi doesn't control the media waves. So it can't force its agenda on the table. People have to, as you said, individually spread the word and uh, yeah. I, I think it's important for uh, many people who um, are concerned many people who um, care about these things uh, to, to, to spread the word around uh, for Malawi and also it's a good thing to yeah. see uh, people local uh, you know I think the emphasis is always external help you know a big UN or uh, mm -hmm. so it's good to see that there's also local organizations that are actually active in Malawi, helping helping themselves as well, you know, and I think um, that's probably a good way. This is something that should probably be strengthened in the way forward in preparedness for something else, because at the end yeah. of the day, I've always got like this. I'm always I always co-host <laughs> about this sort of self reliance. Like, okay, fine, you can get assistance, but make sure that your people are ready like you know they're not waiting and and i think it's a good sign that there's a lot of local um agencies that are active on the ground um in malawi yeah. um but you know there's a lot of uh people that talk about the big figures you know the stats and uh uh the stats and you know the the geography of it of the cyclone but the, the human cost the direct human cost is something that i'm particularly interested in so i just wanted to mm. um sort of talk about this story in cyclone i die uh, the devastating um, cyclone in Mozambique, Malawi, and uh, eastern Zimbabwe. In 2017, March, a woman called Amila spent four days yeah, holding on to a tree and gave birth to a baby on that tree. And I think wow. it, 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 there's, there's footage <laughs> of it everywhere. It's one of the, I think it was probably an award-winning picture. Uh, obviously, yeah. not, the idea is not about that. It was an award-winning picture, but it was a very compelling, mm -hmm. um, compelling image of the, yeah. the the human cost of uh, cyclones and climate change as a whole and she was eventually rescued by an aid agency uh, helicopter plan international and uh, this is just an extreme case uh, of displacement yeah. uh, of what individual yeah. people are going through their individual stories i think the baby lives in america now i think it's got a decent life now um 
but you know this is something mm. that he always he or she i'm not sure what the sex is but he or she will always be known for um so do you have any stories of how you know the most vulnerable people particularly women and children are um, mm. coping in this um in this uh situation yeah um honestly this story was so inspiring and it really reminded me the resilience of women and what would really do to protect <laughs> protect mm. our families and, and and of course when i found out i was doing this interview i went on to research um, other stories on how women do cope in this sort of situation so i'll just share some of those if you don't mind sure. um one i found that was quite interesting it was after the cyclone in 2019 a young mother named martha from mozambique found herself stranded on a roof with two young children with no food water or medical supplies and she really had to be creative and find wow. her own resources to keep her family alive mm. from what i read she um created a makeshift shelter from tree branches and leaves and used rainwater to keep her children hydrated and as well, um, similarly to the story we were just talking about before, she was rescued by aid workers yeah. and uh, yeah, and was reunited with, with her husband. And then also I found another story which was also, you know, similar. It's always seeming women with children, women of children. Yeah. In this example, it's um is in Zimbabwe. Okay. And this woman named Angela was heavily pregnant at the time and was forced to evacuate her home due to flooding. And she had to walk through deep waters to reach safety. And despite literally everything she had gone through, mm. she managed to give birth to a healthy baby boy just a few days later. And I was like, wow, like huh. these yeah. stories are yeah, incredibly it... yeah, inspiring. Isn't it that, isn't it that yeah. I guess it, it, it's uh uh it's it, it's a it's a nod to that song is a strength of a woman is it by shaggy i forgot oh i, I don't know that shaggy. song <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's it's a big song um it used to be ages ago um yeah. but yeah it's, it's it's actually quite fascinating the um the, I, th I think you said that the resilience of these individuals yeah. absolutely nothing there and yeah. all the forces are basically against them and I think perhaps it's probably the necessity to survive the, the mother instinct with the child or a pregnant mother. There's that probably the, the instinct to survive. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm not, I'm not a woman, nor am I, uh, have I got children. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I, I can imagine when, like when, when you, when, when you basically have, um, a child and, uh, everything else is not in your favor some type of necessity or instinct to survive is just just forces you to be creative as you said who even thinks of getting yeah. leaves and branches and starts <laughs> hydrating her children i know water. i mean it's already probably dirty water anyway but i don't think she's thinking about this she's just thinking okay as long as my child survives and we'll be fine and i think these stories are incredible these stories are absolutely incredible and absolutely yeah um and I wanted to talk about the, you know, the, we talked about displacement and sort of the dire mm -hmm. constraints and the really um, interesting and inspiring stories that we hear from these um, people. 
there's also the sort of the after effects of these uh, cyclones of these hurricanes. And uh, when we look at sort of uh, climate change, as you said before, the remnants are not just uh, the economic damage. It's also, you know, people have lost loved ones. But additionally, mm-hmm. there's also things like unemployment, you know, when there's damage of property, uh, there's also damage of the infrastructure in which perhaps say if you owned a butchery, right, and then a cyclone comes and your butchery is gone. Um, it causes unemployment, I would imagine. And on the scale of these cyclones, it causes mass unemployment. Um, um, so it results in various grievances, making fertile ground for terrorism. For those that um, don't remember uh, northern Mozambique, uh, northeastern Mozambique particularly was under a very heavy ter- terrorist insurgency, terrorist linked to the Islamic State in Cabo Delgado, which also happens to be the poorest province in Mozambique. So there is, mm. you can make some sort of connection, you know, and you have done work on uh, terrorism as well with uh, the UK government. Uh, there, there, there is, what, what's your opinion on that in terms of that connection between the effects of climate change and the security problems that arise out of it. Um, well, yeah, just yeah. opinion. I'll be honest with you. Climate change is already a very complex issue. And it really does have that far-reaching impact. And one of those, as you've mentioned, is on global security. And security can be affected and is worsened really by existing social and economic problems, sorry, the climate change. And for example, in Mozambique, what we really did see was that the climate change cyclones and all these issues were going on led to mass employment and food insecurity, which really created the perfect environment for groups of extremist views to recruit vulnerable young people. And to be honest, to really address this sort of security issue, we also have to look at the root of the problem, what's going on in that country. Mm. You know, like we're talking about unemployment, etc. cetera. Mm. And climate change, somehow it's, it has to be a priority for addressing all these interlinked issues, which also cause and um, threaten global security. I mean, if we have to invest in renewable energy, reducing greenhouse gas emissions and supporting communities that are most vulnerable to the impacts of climate change, we might actually be able to mitigate those security risks that are associated with uh, climate change mm-hmm. at the same time. And like I mentioned earlier, I think I think it's completely complex. Yeah. And yeah. there's no one solution to to addressing it. Yeah. It really requires a coordinated, collaborative approach that takes into account the unique needs and challenges of different um, communities around the world. I mean, I think during the time when the insurgency in Cabo de Gado was at its peakest, there was a discovery of oil and gas and yeah. a lot of people there. Yes. So that sort of situation definitely worsen the security uh, in, in Mozambique. And also, like once again, um, as you've seen me talking a lot about this, it's not that I'm just passionate about women and children, but in this situation, again, women and children are the ones that are 
impacted. So I thought it's really important that the international community works together and stays committed to finding solutions mm. that can help build a safer and more secure world for, for everyone, really, especially yeah. women and children included. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't know if I answered you, completely answered your question, but yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. That was a, that was a, that was an excellent answer. Um, yeah, as you said, it's, it's, it's a very complex thing and, um in the in the african setting i'm sure this could apply to malawi but when you look at the informal economies which for those that don't know an informal economy is essentially that economy that is not taxed which is quite predominant in most african countries so people that sell in markets and so on the um so the women normally are the uh the main marketeers and so on and so the when it's impacting them particularly it's sort of like impacting the breadbasket of the country so mm -hmm. economically, I think that's when it's hitting them the most, it's also hitting the, the country the most. And in most cases, there's more, the women, the male, uh, the female to male ratio is more females than males. So when you have a situation where they, they hit the women, they're also hitting the informal economy. <laughs> and so <laughs> just simply food supply, just basic stuff like that, uh, the marketeers, um, that already becomes a problem. So we can see, uh, as you said, it's a very complex issue. Everything sort of fits in to this climate change crisis, if you like. Yeah. Um, and so, obviously, you have been involved in setting up the COP26 summit. And mm. obviously, um, you've been involved in the um, discussing and uh, helping out with the floods in Malawi. There's, all, there's a feeling that um, uh, the developing countries are adversely affected not a feeling actually scientifically proven uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, affected uh, sorry covid skeptics it's scientifically proven is adversely affected by um, greenhouse gas emissions so in short climate change uh, mm. compared to the developed countries so the rich countries essentially the rich countries whilst they're producing the most amount of um, co2 emissions and are contributing massive chunks into the uh, into climate change Developing countries are the ones that are affected the most. In Kenya, I think there was a massive drought a few months ago. Uh, in uh, Southern Africa as a whole, there was an El Nino effect, where basically mm. there was a shortage of water. So many countries that are dependent on hydroelectricity, like Zambia, Zimbabwe, even Mozambique as well, uh, ended up having power cuts because of the low water levels in their hydropower dams. Uh, and now we can see Malawi has also been affected by this this extraordinary type of cyclone. And so um, what uh, what can you tell us about these, you know, the differences, the, 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 why, why exactly are small states uh, and countries in the global south having to pay the ultimate price when it comes to climate change, whereas larger states aren't? And, you know, being in the COP26, um, you know, organizing um, uh, field, what do you have to say about climate finance? Is the term climate finance? Uh, what, what, what does that mean? And yeah, just just let us know what, uh, what we have to know. <laughs> wow, <laughs> really good question. And again, sorry to repeat this, but it's very complex. It really is complicated. And I completely agree with you that developing countries have historically emitted fewer greenhouse gases than developed countries. 
And it's also true that these countries are disproportionately affected by the impacts of climate change. Uh, you know, developing countries, they do lack the resources and infrastructure to adapt to the impacts of climate change, such as, you know, the sea levels rising, droughts and floods. This really lives most people vulnerable to economic and social disruptions. And that's also including food shortages, displacement and conflict. Some of the issues that we've really been discussing. And I think it is really important that developed countries take responsibility for their role in causing climate change and provide support to developing countries to mitigate and to adapt to its effects. Um, I think we spoke about some of my ideas on how this looks like, you know, like can take many forms, like including financial aid, technology mm. transfer and capacity, capacity building. Mm. But really and truly, I, I really think that it's not just a matter of responsibility. Yeah. It's really a matter of what's right. I don't want to seem so <laughs> human rights lawyer here I am, but it's also <laughs> a topic of justice at the end of the day, you know? We know that the impacts of climate change are not distributed equally across the world. And those who contribute least to the problem are the ones who are suffering the most, right? Yeah. So I think it, it makes sense to me that developed countries should be providing support to developing countries to help them address this and to build more of an equitable global community. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so like in short, who really should pay for climate change? It's it's not really about the numbers or the technicalities. Yeah. I Yes, I, I believe that it's a question of values, ethics, yeah. and responsibilities. Developed countries should have a moral obligation to support those who are most vulnerable to the effects of climate change and to take concrete actions to reduce their own greenhouse gas emissions. And it can only be done if we really do work together. I really hate doing the blame game. Mm. I know, and sometimes it, we should be doing the blame game, but we really need to pick up to, yeah. to pick up more actions in a way to build a sustainable future for for all of us. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. yeah. No, I was going to just say that even though it is affecting more developing countries, it's a worldwide, worldwide issue. Even in the UK, I don't know if you've noticed this, but something's not right with the weather. <laughs> we're, in, we're in March. I was seeing snow. <laughs> I'm seeing rain. I'm seeing sunshine the other day. I mean, the, the impact is there. It's only in everybody's best interest for us to 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 look ahead and plan ahead, work together and sort this out. Yeah. yeah. To, to, basically to figure out a way forward. And I like that mm. it's not just about the blame game. Of course there's a blame game and so on. And um, but like when I guess in trying to figure out a way forward, you have to sort of realize the, as you said, the moral responsibility, but obviously there's a tendency to drive into a blame game. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's, it's not, it's not a, it's not a, 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 an, an indictment or like on people that want to talk about these things of justice and because obviously, you know, I mean, there is a, there is a feeling 
uh, many countries like South Africa with their coal, you know, they're like, okay, mm-hmm. guys developed, you know, you polluted and so on. But now, you know, because of climate change and we are the worst affected, why can we also pollute? Why can't we, you know, it's not our problem. Why can we also, yeah. uh, why can't we also develop and let, allow us, basically allow us to pollute, <laughs> you know, allow us to, pollute, <laughs> to industrialize. Um, but obviously, as you said, it's a moral, uh, it's a moral and sort of justice uh, discussion because if you want to, you refusing to uh, help countries like this, providing the finance, because the finance is not going to really come from anywhere else, at least in the short mm. term. Um, if you want to help these countries be more sustainable, be greener, uh, yeah, parts, because they're going to develop either way, with yeah, with or without. So if they're going to develop one way, it, it, it would be preferable if it's a sustainable one, right? So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of sort of like if all of Af- most African countries develop rapidly in an Asian manner mm-hmm. by 2050, just imagine the CO2 emissions if none of, if none of them are developing sustainably. Um, yeah. So either way, they're going to want to develop. So it's how they're going to develop. And um, there's always going to be that argument of you have you have allowed, you know, they allowed you to develop without any restraints. But now you guys want to stop us from developing. So it's sort of the development has to be green. And um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, so the the complexity of climate change and how um, everything is interlinked, we've kind of run down through everything from the actual flood in Malawi uh, from the different stories to the human costs um we have a question that we always ask our uh guests what exactly would you like to be asked and what if there's any question you've been on many panels before if there's any question that you have liked to be asked that you don't really get enough um people asking you or no one really asks you what is it what what was that one question that you'd um, like to be asked okay thank you and i absolutely love that that question there are a lot of different questions that I like to be asked, but I'll keep this one specific to climate change. I think what I'd like to see is people really trying to find answers for me on how they themselves as individuals can take responsibility to reduce their own carbon footprint and combat climate change. I think when I see individuals taking that step it shows me they're interested it gives me hope that it's not just me (laughs) and everyone else sitting on this panel or the government or this international organization but it's individuals young people wanting to make to make a difference so I always find that question really interesting and I answer it different each time Mm. yeah so yeah so that that'll that'll be my question (laughs) Mm. so it's about what you can do as well yeah yeah that's 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 interesting. So sort of sort of like the John F. Kennedy speech: ask what, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Or ask what, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, ask not what Africa can do for you, <laughs> or <laughs> ask what you can do for Africa. And that's a wonderful way <laughs> to end <laughs> the uh, episode. And uh, we just want to thank you for being on uh, Africa for Dummies on A4D. Um, so for those that are um, listening to our podcast for the first time, uh, if you've just joined, uh, please leave a five-star rating on any of our platforms. We're on multiple platforms, we're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Google Podcasts, we're 
on everything. Uh, we have our Instagram page. We have a TikTok page as well for those that are interested. And um, we are obviously with a very special guest who has who's an experienced lawyer, a diplomat, uh, trade negotiator, Alexina Piri uh, from the British Foreign Department. So thank you for listening to us, and we thank you for having you on here, um, Mrs. Alexina Piri. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I am an African.